Evidence and Answers. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Each week, Pat and his friends provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. This week, we're listening to one of the messages from our recent Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Each year, Pat hosts this conference, which features some of the premier Christian scholars and apologists from around the nation. Our theme this year was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave, and featured noted Christian scholars Dr. Gary Habermas and Dr. Ron Rhodes. Today, we will hear Pat Zucran as he wraps up his study entitled Hell, the Horrible Choice. Here's Pat with the conclusion. You know, if I said to you, man, I'm burning up inside. I'm burning mad. Does that mean I'm literally on fire? No, it means, man, I'm in anguish. Okay? There's great anxiety within me. Okay? Great pain. Literally, the best way I can describe it is I'm burning mad or I'm burning up inside. So some take it that, that the fires are symbolic of the never-ending pain and anguish that's in hell. Hell is described as a perpetual burning dump, Mark chapter 9, because the pain, the anguish, and the sorrow are never ending, and it's a sorrowful place where the pain never ends, like a dump with a fire that never, ever goes out. Revelation chapter 20 describes it as a bottomless pit, the abyss. First Peter 3.19 describes hell as a prison. Only this sentence is eternal. It's more than a lifetime. It's an eternal lifetime, separated from God forever and ever. Now, the states of the soul in hell, they're eternally separated from God forever, for all of eternity. They do not know God as their Savior, but they know God as judge. Romans chapter 2. Hell is a place of torment, not a place of torture. When I was at Cornell University, the first question I was asked is, how can God torture people in hell forever and ever? If I tortured someone for even a day, I'd be thrown in jail immediately. How can this God torture people forever? Well, the Bible doesn't describe hell as a place of torture. It's a place of torment. Hey, what's the difference between torture and torment? What's the difference? Yeah, which one is imposed on somebody from the outside? Torture. Torment, as Jake Rice states, comes from within. All right, so God doesn't torture people in hell. They're in torment. It comes from within. That's why it's a place of torment. They've chosen to reject God. Therefore, God respects their choice and they're in a place away from Him where they are tormented. The pain in hell comes from the person, from the choice that they have made. All that has been lost, all that they realize, the joy, the wonder, the love, all that life was ever meant to be has been lost and they must live with the consequences of their decisions and they sit there in hell tormented forever. It's a pain that comes from within. C.S. Lewis says the fires of hell are created 
from within the person himself. So, it's not a place of uh, torture, it's a place of torment. When the rich man saw Lazarus there, he said, so he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted and you are in agony. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. Okay? Luke chapter 16. So it's not a place of torture. It's a place of torment. It's a place of anguish and regret. As we read in that passage in Luke chapter 16. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. As Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 8. A place of weeping because of such great sorrow place of gnashing of teeth because of the tremendous pain that they feel so when you watch the LA Lakers this year you scan the audience you see the audience weeping and gnashing of teeth right, the Lakers struggle <laughs> any Laker fans here? Oh. <laughs> my good friends are Laker fans so I like to give them a bad time and let's just see, weeping, pain, weeping, all the sorrow, gnashing of teeth, because the pain is so great. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I'm playing tennis or golf, you know how they're slower sports and you can see your opponent when they're losing to you? You know, I often taunt them. I said, look at you, weeping and gnashing of your teeth. I know you're going to lose, you know? And kind of, I kind of taunt them like that. It works. Try it. Try it on your tennis uh, or golf opponents. Sometimes. Now, where is hell located? Basically, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 describes it best. It's described more relationally than spatially. It's a place away from God. Quarantined away from God. The Bible talks about it that it is below the earth. If heaven is above, then hell is below the earth. Okay? Now, some say, well, you know, there's this tunnel and, you know, or whatever, and I... You know, you hear stories. I put my ear down to this crack in the ground. I heard these voices screaming and all this kind of stuff. Probably not a place down there underneath us. The Bible writer is probably talking about it relationally. Okay? If heaven is up above, then hell is in the other direction. Basically, it's a place away from God. Matthew 8 calls it a place of outer darkness. Okay? Outer darkness. It is a place away from God, outside of the presence of God, outside of the city of God. Revelation 22 talks about hell being a place outside the gates of the heavenly city. So basically, it's away from the presence of God. That's how hell is described in the Bible. Basically, it's a place outside of God's presence, away from God, quarantined away from the very presence of God. So God honors the choice of each person. If they don't want to be with God now, He won't force them 
to be with him for all eternity. Okay? If I don't want to be with God now, would I want to be in his very presence for all eternity? You know? In heaven, there's not a corner where you can avoid God. Alright? The very centerpiece of heaven, as Ron Rhodes is going to describe here, is the throne of God. Hey, when Moses, Elijah, John, when they got a glimpse of heaven, the very first thing they saw was the throne, the majestic, incredible, beautiful throne of God. That's the centerpiece of heaven, and heaven revolves around the throne of God. So you can't ignore God. You can't go up there and ignore Him. And if you don't want to be with Him now, He's not going to force you to be with Him for all eternity. If you remember the movie, What Dreams May Come, with uh, Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding. Robin Williams, they go up to heaven, right? And it's his paradise. It's what he has dreamed of. And it's an incredibly beautiful place. And they're in this house that he has imagined. And it's incredibly beautiful and Cuba Gooding, you know, tears open the wall and it's a window to just a beautiful lake and a sunset and they're looking at it and uh, Robin Williams looks at Cuba Gooding and says, oh, where's God in all this? And Cuba Gooding goes, oh, I don't know, but he's out there somewhere each day telling us that he loves us. Well, that's not what heaven's going to be like. You can't ignore the very presence of God. <laughs> His glory and splendor fills all of heaven Everything revolves around the throne of God. There we will also worship the Lord. Myriads and myriads of angels and the saints of all the ages worship the Lord. You can't get away from God or the worship of God when you're in heaven. So if, if you don't want to be with him now, he's not going to force you to be with him for eternity. Okay? To force you to be with someone you do not want to be with. That would be hell for you. All right? Heaven would be hell for you. Okay? So God doesn't force that upon you. I mean, if, you know, if there was a gal you, or a guy you didn't want to go out with, and your parents forced to be with them okay, all night, I mean, that's like a never-ending torture. Right? Imagine, if you don't want to be with God now, He's not going to force you to be with Him forever and ever and ever. Okay? My friend... You know, when I was in Dallas, my friend hates George Bush. Okay? He thinks George Bush is the Antichrist. All right? Now, I don't know what your political view is, but because his company was connected with a big donor for George Bush, the whole company was invited to a banquet for George Bush after he had finished his second term. And so, you know, my friend, being part of the company, was invited to go. Now, remember, this guy hates George Bush. You know, this guy's the Antichrist, all right, to him. And that night, we were there at the most expensive hotel in Dallas. You know, the only five-star hotel in Dallas. We had the finest food. We had the best music. We had the best surroundings. I mean, we had the best of everything. Okay, but, do you, but everywhere around, there was a tribute to George Bush. Pictures of George Bush. Medals and awards that he had won. Accolades to George Bush. And when people got up and spoke, they were highly esteeming and talking highly about George Bush. So even we're in the best place in all of Dallas. You think my friend was having a good time? He's in absolute hell. Uh, so he, he had to leave early. 
Okay? Someone who doesn't want to be with God now, okay, he's not going to force you to be with him forever in heaven. Now, here are some common objections we hear here often. Number one, that first one, how can a loving God send people to hell forever? Well, as I said, God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to go there. Okay? And if you don't want to be with God now, He's not going to force you to be with Him forever. He honors your choice and He allows you to be separated from Him forever. In a place quarantined okay? in a place called hell. Another objection. Is it fair to punish for eternity what was done in a lifetime. In other words, does the crime fit the time? Well, remember, time doesn't have anything to do with the degree of punishment. A bank robbery may take years to plan, but a bank robber may serve four years in jail. A murder may take place very quickly and be just a very short time to plan, maybe just a matter uh, of minutes even. Yet a murderer gets a longer lifetime sentence than someone who robbed a bank. All right? Even though the crime took much shorter to take place. So it's not the length of time, it's the quality or the character of the crime. Rejection of God's gracious gift of eternal life of His Son Jesus Christ renders one eternally separated from God forever. Okay? Alright. Any questions? We went over quite a bit quickly, but any questions on the, what we cover here on the doctrine of hell? What is Satan's active role in hell now? You know, that's a really good question. You know, Satan is not in hell right now. He's never been in hell. He's loosed upon the earth. Okay, in fact, 1 John says he calls him the God of this age. And in fact, when Jesus was tempted, Satan said, I give you the kingdoms of this world if you will bow down to me. So Satan has temporary rule of the system of this world. Okay, that's why John says, do not love the world or the things of this world. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, because the system of the world is under the authority of Satan right now. So he's loosed upon the earth okay, at a future point in time. Revelation 19, he will be locked up in the prison of hell. Uh, Revelation calls it the abyss for a thousand years. And then at the end, he's judged again and thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. So right now, he is not in hell. So any person, I mean, I was just listening to a tape not too long ago of a person who went to hell, you know, and she talks about being in hell and how hell is shaped like a body and she goes into each section of the body of hell and she sees all this and that. And then she says she went into the heart of hell and there was Satan, looked like a bat, you know, a demon sitting on his throne in hell and all. And listening to that, I just looked at my friend and I said, you know, I'm not sure about her experience here. Whatever she experienced, I certainly would not take that seriously as a description of hell or anything. It's just whatever she experienced 
not in accords with the Bible. And my friend said, why? I said, well, Satan's not in hell. You know, he's never been there. He'll be there in the future, but he's loosed upon the earth now. Okay? But, but the Bible does talk about that there are angels that are loosed and angels that are in prison, Second Peter and Jude. In the angelic prison, whenever they talk about an angelic prison, they, you know, a term is used, you know, Tartarus. It describes where, you know, the angels are bound okay, to the day of judgment. So, Satan is loosed. There are loosed angels that aid him in his attempt to destroy God and God's plan for the redemption of mankind. And there are angels that are bound in the angelic prison until the day of judgment. No, no, there's a heaven now, and there is a hell now. Right, but Satan's not there in hell. But those who die, right. And then Revelation 20 says, Hell and death, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. So the hell now that people go to is a temporary state of suffering. It's going to get worse. Because what happens in Revelation 20, it says, you know, the dead were raised, the sea gave up the dead. So there will be a resurrection of the unsaved well it's hell or Hades hell or Hades right? Uh, they are resurrected, they're united with their soul and spirit, they're judged at the great white throne judgment and then they're thrown into the lake of fire which is the permanent state of the unsaved so they go from bad to worse yeah so they're in hell now or Hades after their, their resurrection they're thrown into the lake of fire well, yeah, so you have your temporary state, and then a lake of fire is your permanent state. Okay, so it just goes from bad to worse. This story of Lazarus and the rich man, you know, it's one of the difficulties of this particular story. Some say it's a parable. It's just illustrating the pain and anguish of hell and, you know, heaven and things. And so there's some aspects of it that may not be so accurate or whatever. Some say, no, it's a true story. That's a part that's really difficult. How are they able to dialogue with one another, one being in hell and heaven? You know, that, that's a really tough one. And I, I'm not sure I have a good answer for you. Uh, yeah, why doesn't uh, God let them change their mind once they go to hell? Well, okay, the eternal judgment is the fulfillment of what you want. It's giving you what you want. Okay? So it's like marriage. You know, when you commit to someone you fulfill the desire of what you've waited for and committed to and it's a something that you want okay and so in hell or heaven it's the fulfillment of the desire what you really want and your desire has been completely filled so those who are in hell you know a good book on it might be c.s lewis i think it's the great divorce the bus ride from heaven to hell and those in hell, they, they don't want to get on the bus. They'd rather stay there, is the story. Those in hell get, you know, fulfill the desire that they want. They don't want to be with God. And so their desire is fulfilled. So they don't want to change their mind once they're there. Right. As a result, you receive the fulfillment of your full desire. You're talking about First Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay? 
there's going to come a time when you die your physical body goes into the ground and your immaterial essence and what Gary Habermas was talking about in the near death experience seminar there's an immaterial essence in us the body call, uh, the Bible calls it the soul the spirit okay? but it involves the mind the emotions the will all of that goes to be with the Lord immediately but there will come a day when there is a resurrection of the physical body and it'll meet the soul and the spirit. Now, for those of us from the pre-millennial perspective, okay, we say that this is an event called the rapture, when Christ returns for his church and the dead in Christ, their physical bodies are resurrected. They're, 1 Corinthians 15, they're changed to their glorious immortal body and they're united with their soul and spirit. And so you'll have your eternal glorified body united with your soul and spirit okay and that's talking about the resurrection of the physical body then so that's what it means the dead in christ shall rise first okay so those bodies in the grave shall be resurrected unto glory and those of us who remain shall be transformed first corinthians 15 gives probably the most lengthy description of the eternal body and it says for behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and all shall be changed. So it's going to happen that quick. In the twinkling of an eye, you're going to, body shall be resurrected to unite with the soul and spirit. That's why Christians, it's one of the traditions that Christians bury their body. They don't cremate it. All right? That's one of the traditions. Because the body is good. Right? And one day it shall be resurrected and redeemed imperishable. So that's why Christians have traditionally buried the body to signify that. Whereas in the Eastern religions, this is bad. You want to get out of this. And you don't want to reincarnate and come back into this. That's why they cremate and destroy the body. You want to get rid of this and get out of this. Like I said, it doesn't matter how you are buried, but you want to be careful what kind of a witness it is. For example, if you're in the country of Nepal, right, funeral is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. It's your last testimony. And if you're a Christian and you get cremated, they're going to say, he said he was a Christian all his time, but when it really mattered, he died Buddhist. He was cremated Buddhist style. He died Buddhist. All right? So in a country like Nepal, you'll probably want to be buried Christian style and say, you know, as a, your final testimony to the end. In America, it may you know may not make may not have that kind of significance. I have a big decision to make, right? I mean, our family tomb is in Nuwano, and we're all died very Buddhist style, and the ashes are all in the one uh, haka. So, what do I want to do? And I've thought about being cremated so I can be buried on the Buddhist side, but have a Christian thinking with a scripture verse and all that and, and all that you know he's not here he's or whatever you know I'm the resurrection and life and be a witness on the Buddhist side or do I want to be very Christian style I don't know I got a decision to make okay that Matthew was a 26 passage about the, those who died and in that nearby grave and you know yeah I came out and we're walking around on that one I don't know I've looked at commentaries to figure out what exactly is that and there's really no commentary that's written on that that's a very mysterious passage 
as to what happened here. And there's a couple interpretations of it which I'm not very satisfied with as to what happened. But that's in connection with the crucifixion, you know, which no one really denies or anything like that. What's the second part of the question? Oh, Jesus' resurrection. Yeah, he said, he told Mary, stop, that's in John, stop clinging to me, or I've not ascended to the Father. She was holding on to him. She didn't want him to go. And that's why he was saying, stop clinging to me, like that. Because one of the things Jesus said is, I must go, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. But she was apparently clinging on to him and not wanting him to go. So that's why Jesus said, you know, stop clinging on to me. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers, and I hope you enjoyed listening to one of our messages from this past year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Our theme was Evidence of Life Beyond the Grave and featured a wonderful lineup of scholars who presented fascinating and inspiring seminars. If you would like a copy of all the seminars from this past year's conference, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can order the entire series. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetics Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers radio show is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, please visit them at www.hcmlp.com. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers. Oh, 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 oh